Fuck pain. Fuck heartbreak. I'm still in love with life. From the multicultural headquarters of the future capital of the free-thinking states of America known as Los Angeles, this is the Drunken Dows Podcast. Tonight, it's interview time again, as Sterling Harjo, producer and creator of one of the best new shows on television, Reservation Dogs, joins us for a great conversation about creating a program that offers a before-unseen look at Oklahoma reservation life with a fantastic band of characters, many drawn from his own life. Native American heritage blended with struggles of modern teenagers and a healthy dose of magical realism makes a powerful brew. Here we go. And now, asking you all to spread the words that corporations are not persons, I'm Rich Evers. And my partner in crime, the savage philosopher and middle finger of the gods, Daniele Bolelli. As we invite you to lower the lights, batten down the hatches, and prepare to open your mind for the Drunken Dows podcast begins now. Welcome back, everybody. Another fine episode. Matter of fact, more than fine. A very exciting episode yes. of the Drunken Dows podcast. Yes, indeed. This is episode 208. And uh, today we have the creator of the awesome Reservation Dogs. Mr. Sterling Harjo. Yeah, Sterling is fantastic. It's uh, Well, that's a treat, right? Because I don't think we ever had a chance to have a show that we are currently watching, that we just finished watching, going like, man, this is the best show on TV right now, and then we get the creator to chat with. Yeah, that's so, pretty fantastic. I had uh, I had the good luck of meeting Sterling a bit before Reservation Dog came out. So when he said, he's like, well, I'm doing this show, Reservation Dogs is going to be on Hulu. And I was like, that's cool. That's great. And, you know, he sounded like a really cool person when we interacted. So I was, but I, I didn't check out his work yet. Right. So then when I saw Reservation Dogs, I was like, holy shit, this guy's good. Yeah. He's amazing. He's so if you haven't checked it out yet, Reservation Dogs is one of the best TV shows you can run into these days. Yep. No major spoilers on this one from the current episodes, I don't think. No. And uh, a few secret hints of what might lie ahead for next season. Yeah. yeah. Behind the scenes. Very fun <laughs> chat with Sterling. Before we get that going, let's say a few thank yous, starting with SureDesignTShirts.com with the softest shirts on the planet and I am sporting one right now Ooh, one that's of the ours x-rated actually. old school one yes one of ours oh my and that satyr how strapping yeah <laughs> powerful <laughs> and manly and thank you of course to grasslandbeef.com for uh, filling our freezers with awesome meat of all sort of kind so check them out grasslandbeef.com also, thank you to Zebra Athletics for the glorious mats sitting in my garage, making my home dojo. And for the folks keeping the drunk in the drunken Taoist, Aum Cellars and MateraWines.com. Now, what was that red wine you slipped me last week? That was tasty That was indeed. Matera Wines. Oh, that man. In a glorious moment, they said, oh, we are out of bottles for now. The regular size bottles. So they <gasps> sent us the double size bottle which is like a liter and a half literally it's like twice the size of the regular kind well I was but all the good out. quality oh man it had you know it, it made my head spin a little bit too i'm Beautiful. just not i'm just not hardcore into that so it was a uh, it was dangerous for a moment i am moved uh <laughs> Also, let's say thank you to the sweet folks who have uh, decided to support us this time around. Excellent. Let the pottering begin. So thank you to Nicola Togni, John Vergara, Gregory Richmond, Thomas Robinson, Aistis Juska, Nick Zunik, Lisa Robles, Andre Garapetian, David Dodds, Ariel Hall, Samuele Rudelli, and Jim D'Amico. Thank you ever much, so much. Unbelievable. Who would expect us such kind folks to help us out along the way? Speaking of kind folks, Kiva.org, $181,000 in loans from your fellow listeners, $25 to help a stranger's life out. Loan, get repaid, loan again. 
What could be more fun than that? Kiva.org. Do that. And I guess if you are in the mood, Christmas shopping is coming up. Uh, you go on Amazon, shop for anything, use our link dbamazing.com again the letter d the letter b the word amazing.com and uh, we got a little cut of that which is always a sweet thing no extra cost to you none whatsoever one less dick-shaped spaceship for jeff bezos (laughs) (laughs) having said all that i think we can jump into the episode here we go Okay, guys, ready to roll with the man himself, Sterling Harjo. If you guys haven't watched Reservation Dogs yet, well, you can do one of two things. You can A, feel really, really bad about yourself, because you should. How could you possibly miss out? Or B, you can fix that, which is an easy thing. That way you don't have to feel really bad about yourself. And on top of it, you will be rewarded by... What a, really one of the best shows I've seen in such a long time. Like the mix of humor, deep concepts, everything rolled together in one is just so damn good that I can't recommend it enough. So make sure to watch it. And here we get chatting with Sterling. How's it going, Sterling? I'm great. How's it going? Thanks for thanks for having me. Of course, man. It's uh, it's a pleasure. I mean, uh, I remember we started chatting while you were in the process of filming Reservation Dogs. I hadn't seen it yet, and uh, I like you as a person, but I hadn't seen it yet, right? And then when I saw it, I was like, "Holy shit! He hit it out of the park. This is fantastic!" Well, like, what were your expectations? Like, what, did you have any going in, or I didn't have expectations. Right. So I was just curious. I was like, "Let's see what he what he brings to the table." What I mean, you say that he was kind of comedic, and I was like, yeah. "Cool, that would work. I'm I can dig that." I guess for people. Maybe for people who haven't seen it yet, if you want to just give your general spiel on what the show is to you, we can sort of introduce them to the work that way, and then we can sort of... Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, I mean, it's really a show that's sort of based on me growing up in rural Oklahoma. Mm -hmm. I kind of like, you know, and most, a lot of Native people, I think, do grow up in rural areas on reservations or wherever that may be. I mean, there's a lot in the cities as well and more urban uh, settings, but... I've always just had this affinity for where I grew up and the sort of knowledge and the knowledge and community of those places. And so the show focuses on four indigenous teenagers that are in rural Oklahoma. And they are sort of in the aftermath of losing a friend and they're trying to save money to get to California Um, and hilarity ensues. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> and that's not just saying it a lot of hilarity and yeah. there was uh one episode in particular uh when you introduced the uncle i was literally in, like i was in pain i laughed so hard that there were moments where i was like you know what i think i need to pause it because this is my abs are getting tested to the limit here it's that's just right. yeah gary farmer man he's a legend you know yeah. he plays a character uncle brownie yeah i mean that was the whole idea it was like I didn't want it to just be about teenagers, these four Mm -hmm. teenagers. I wanted it to be about the community, but they are sort of the, they're what this story about community is packaged in. It's packaged about, you know, as a coming of age story, Mm -hmm. but we break off and really talk about the whole, the community as a whole. And, you know, uncle Brownie, my dad's, that's what my dad's name is Brownie. Like it's, it it was a nickname that stuck when he was a kid and and, uh, everyone calls him Brownie. And, you know, it was like kind of imagining if my dad lived as a recluse, which he would if he wasn't married, you know, but like uh, if he lived as a recluse out in the woods and like what he would be like, you know, so um, it was a lot of fun. And, you know, like we have these crazy aunts and uncles in our communities and they help raise you, you know, that's what's great about it. And like, I wanted to show that with that character and with all the other characters you meet too. I mean, Wes Studi is sort of a similar type, you know, archetype is like a crazy uncle as well, you know. But he's brilliant. That's what's funny. Is like you have him, you know, he looks like this uh, 
homeless on the street almost and then he's like talking about six that are like what is he saying again oh, he's talking oh. about string theory and stuff. yeah exactly <laughs> <I'm> like what <laughs> it's, it's hilarious and i love that you were able to kind of gather together this old star cast in uh right. from native actors and actresses from i mean it's i guess both things are cool on one end you have Gary Farmer, West Wood, a bunch of like very famous people who have been in just about every other movie about native folks in the yeah. past 20 years. And at the same time, you also have all your lead characters are people who essentially, you know, you manage to make a show without the kind of star power of the lead star who had already were well established. They are fantastic. They are great actors and actresses. Yeah, the casting is ridiculously fantastic. Yeah. Is it Mose and Miko? I- yeah. Oh yeah, the two guys. They yeah, couldn't yeah. have possibly been yeah, written, yeah. right? You just stumbled across them and said, "Guys, well, you be know, here on this day." Those guys are kind of well known in Indian country, where like you go to um, you go to a festival or an event or anything, and you would always run into those guys like selling their CDs, you know. And like they, they had this one sort of brush with fame, which was uh, America's Got Talent. They were right. on there for like a. They went past one round, you know. Um, and I was looking for young twins to play these characters and but they happened to audition and that was my um casting director chose that you know like uh or, or asked them to angelique mid thunder and so when they we saw the audition it was like oh we have to cast them yeah. like we have to bring them in yeah they're great that's the joy of the show man it, it does not feel like it was cast at all it feels like you brought some cameras in and right. started rolling and that's sort of i guess that's right. the way things are going with sort of the the nomad land vibe and and what Chloe Zhao's doing, you really have sort of captured that. It's like reality being captured, but not in a gross reality show way, and more like great drama. Hey. Right. I mean, like you know, um, part of the part of the thing about the show is I I um, like the style of you know, like I, I've always loved Harmony Corinne films and like these films that kind of like touch in you know, sort of this raw sort of naturalness, but also you know, have an element of like comedy and, and I don't know, like it was, it was like, I was trying to explain like what, what I would describe the show as. And I was like, if you took like Stand By Me, Gummo and Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Like that's kind of the mix. Like I want it to feel raw and natural, but also have this sort of heightened otherworldly feeling to it, you know, like a Coen brother movie or like um, something where the magic is acceptable. And like, you can easily show the dear woman and no one will bat an eye, you know, like people just go along with you. So it was, the trick was to try and make a show that allowed you to do anything. And I think that um, the character, character that Dallas Goldtooth plays was essential in that. Like, <laughs> Where, where yeah. you know where he goes to the spirit world bear goes to the spirit world and, and all of a sudden when that character comes i think that everyone kind of goes oh i i once don't know what this is going to be but also i'll go anywhere with it you know yes yeah, yeah. it's a it's a magical unrealism what is it 100 years of solitude sort of right right all right. this sort of magic happens but nobody notices because we're here it's, that's the way it is so we just roll with it awesome that's uh, that's what I show anybody who is, uh, wants to check out the show. I, the first thing I show is that scene in uh, episode one of, oh, yeah. uh, where he comes on and the dialogue with Mayor is just so damn funny that I'm like, okay, you it's know great. right like, there if it's the show is for you or not. You it's know? funny because, you know, as you know, I am a big fan of your um, Little Bighorn uh, episodes on the you know, History of Fire and I uh, it's funny to be writing that character because like, you know, your episodes are you know obviously you're into the reality and the, the the details and like but it was like picturing like what would the person that failed yeah like what would the yeah. person that of like course. didn't feel <laughs> victorious and heroic like how did that work out you know i loved it like so this. much that i'm like if anybody ever get that a little bigger movie or series or anything if they don't have dallas go to fully on his source and get his squashed i would sue they would be like you need to have it at this point you know what i mean right it can exactly. be like you have yeah, crazy yeah. horse you have all these things badass stuff going on everywhere and on the side you get like 10 seconds on him falling and right, that would be perfect right. <laughs> it's just too funny you know it's... i got the biggest kick out of the tornado episode because my wife's cherokee and her mother was literally when the East Nashville tornado came roaring through in 2000, destroying most of the area. 
her house was the first one not to be damaged. And not only did the tornado drop up into the sky, go over the Cumberland River, it landed on Andrew Jackson's house. <laughs> wow. Landed. That's crazy. So I was hoping that's, some that's madness cool, like eh? that was going to go because it was quite uh, – it, it felt close to home. What, did she need the AXA? I'm uh, sure she was out I there, see. man. There's no question about it. That was fantastic. <laughs> Well, I mean, you know, like this, uh, it's another thing is like, I wanted to show some of that, like, because my whole life, every time I've lived in here in Oklahoma, there's always, always like a rumor, like, oh, you know, a medicine man doctored this place and the tornado won't hit it. You know, like I always heard that. Um, but then there's also these remedies of like how to fix it. And like, you know, the real one is actually like you take a double bladed ax, you stick one blade in the ground and the other blade will split the tornado and make it go around you, you know? And so I just took that another step further and I was like, I want, you know, Brownie to be wielding this axe and like yelling at it, you know? Oh man, I love it. And I think there's a, there's an interesting tradition there because whereas, sure, most of the people who are familiar with kind of a bit of a tradition of native uh, cinema have seen always uh, like the stoic and tough or spiritual or that kind of stuff. There is a little bit of that tradition that if you look things like Powawai Way, Gary Farmer there as well, or, you know, you, you have that kind of, um, or all the Sherman Alexi works or all that stuff. You have that stuff where it captures the culture, but in a really, the humor is never far from it. Right. And I love about it because it's like, right. that's what kind of in a way makes it real, makes people more three-dimensional, people you can sit around and have a chat with rather than being a stereotype. I think, well, you know, what's interesting is it's actually, you know, like you would think like maybe a comedy wouldn't be truthful because it's so absurd and there's so much but like i think it's the one of the most truthful depictions of our communities because of the humor and that's what's always missing right like that's what yep. is always missing and if you spend any time around indians you know they're teasing you know they're laughing you know they're Absolutely. you know it's like i always tell people like um uh, i always tell people like you know it's if you're hanging out with an indian and they're not teasing you that means they don't like you you know right one of my favorite quotes from elton john is everybody has their whole life to write their first record and six months to write their second one. Are you yeah. feeling that at all right now? Oh, definitely. definitely. And how does it feel to work 20 years for your overnight success? Because yeah, that's exactly. truly what's sort of happening. Yeah, it's crazy. It's like the amount of money I didn't make up until this point is I would be rich. I mean, there's so much. I mean, so much. I mean, so little money uh, off this career up until this point. It's been insane. And um, it's funny because I was talking about like, so many of my stories are in this show. And I was telling the writer's room, like, I need your stories, like, more, you know, like, because I used a lot of mine. Right. Um, <laughs> and also, I mean, I'm even referencing my films, like, like, like my other feature films. There's major things in this show that are from those. And it's like, man, I'm going to run out of ideas. So, like, I'm definitely, <laughs> definitely feeling the pressure of season two, but it's fun to crack it all open and figure it out, you know? And I'm pretty excited about what we have so far. Well, I read an article, you have the genius idea that you know where you want to end and that right. has to make it easier than putting a bunch of convoluted shit that, oh God, it's lost. Exactly. Indeed lost. Yeah. So you're right. going to get there? Yeah, I'll get there. Yeah, I'm not worried about it. How many episodes season two? How many episodes? 10. 10. Oh, okay, nice. so you go a little longer on this one. Same length of episodes, about half hour each? Yeah, half hour. Yeah, it's funny because that's what everyone's complaining is they want it to be longer. But I actually really like that it's not. It's great. I'm really glad that it's not because, like, I like leaving people with wanting more, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yep. I like and people you... wanting more. And if, and if I didn't have... Um, if I had an hour, I would just be like, God, this is boring. Like, like all of a sudden, like, going hunting with two characters that gets hard in an hour, 30 yeah. minutes. It's very doable. You yeah, know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I don't know. I, I like the time constraint. I think you make it work well because you're right. For one, it doesn't feel like half hour. For one, it feels like a lot more has happened than what you pack in half hour. Yeah. It's very tightly packed. So there's right. no dead time ever. You know, everything is constantly rolling from one great scene to the next. Well, you know, what's interesting. One of the things that I worried about, and you know this is spending time with native people. There is a pace mm -hmm. to the way of life. And I worried that the 30 minute packing it in would fuck with that pace, but it doesn't. It like, oh, you still feel the pace of it, even though it's very, there's a lot going on, you know? 
I mean, like what you mentioned, like the hunting episode, you really have is like two characters chatting for most of the episodes and going like he's extremely minimalistic in some way. And the pace does feel right. more, a little more mellow. But at the same time, you never feel bored. Like the right. dialogue is interesting. What suddenly you throw in there happening here and there is super interesting. And suddenly a turkey shows up. Yeah, yeah. You have something that's constantly, and you know, in half hour, you can do that. You can keep the pace without making it boring. And it's fantastic. You know, right. it's, I agree with you. If it was an hour, you would have to radically change things because you could do that, but you would have to add a bunch of other things. It wouldn't be an episode that's kind of monographic about that story. You would have to throw in other lines of stories and, and it would become a whole different thing. You know, it could work, but it's harder, of course. And you guys released week yeah. to week, right? You didn't you didn't drop them all at once. No, no, no. Which I like that. I like that they come. Do you out, have a choice you know? of that? Is that up to you, or do they just lord over? No, and know that was we'll do that, it this way. that was what they had planned with Hulu, and so it like really That's worked the out. Only like, way to I, do I, it, I'm man. happy about it. Yeah. yeah, I've heard people like I streamed Game of Thrones in two weeks. It's like, man, you missed it. You know. That yeah, idea exactly. of that episode is well, up. yeah, the waiting, you know, the anticipation, yeah, of the waiting, so, important. so exciting. Yeah, and weekly is cool. It's not like you wait a ton in between. Weekly is like, hey, it's Monday again. I look forward to the episode. Go visit our that's friends in Oklahoma. Second. Yeah, totally. So that's uh, when is uh, when do you have uh, season two on tap for? When do you think it's gonna come out? It's gonna be, I think, the same schedule as this year. So it'll nice. be next fall. Next fall. Um, and okay. the production will be in the spring. We'll have two more episodes to shoot. But um, I don't know. It's interesting because like. Uh, one good thing about having it, it's that it's one good thing that it's season two is that like nothing's going to surprise me anymore, you know? And also like, I think that you get a little more it, power sounds bad, but like they trust you more. So yep, you can ask for things that you might not ask for in the first one, you know? So that's been good. You know, you know, they do trust me now. Like, you know, the show was put together. I mean, I didn't even know what a fucking showrunner did before right. I got the job, you know? <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, yeah. And, uh, but, you know, being a writer, director of independent film really trained me for that. Like it was like the best training because it's basically that, except you just have more responsibilities. Well, I guess, yeah, for the people who are like, yeah, what the hell does a showrunner do? What's the what's your quick answer for the folks wandering? Everything. I, a showrunner does everything, kind of has a hand in everything from hiring to, I mean, I think the real heart of what a showrunner does is that it is the heart of the show. It's like the... You're the cheerleader. Pulse, and you have to keep the tone. <laughs> right. You have to keep the tone. Like if it's a comedy, you got to make sure that you're staying with the show. You know, one yeah. of the main things that I do in the writer's room is try and decide, like, like we might have a good idea, but I'll go, you know, this isn't the show. Like I'll think about it, like, but this isn't our show. Like yep. we don't do that. You know, there's certain things like, you know, a regular drama or something, you'll be like, oh, and then someone hurt their leg. Well, then they had to go get it wrapped up and then they had to go and then they were limping and then they had to do that. You know, it's like, we just don't do that. It's like, it's not a show that like, that unfolds. It's a show that is orchestrated for you. You know, I feel like the aesthetic of it is like, there's no figuring something out as you go. You kind of know what's happening at the right. beginning, right? Like you're going hunting. And to one person doesn't want to, the other person's trying to get them to, you understand the dynamic of that relationship and you just watch it unfold. You just watch it happen. You know, it's not like you're learning these little bits of information and putting things together like TV does a lot, you know? And so it feels more like independent cinema that way, or, or I think like foreign cinema, you know, European cinema, Latin American cinema. Um, and I, you know, I love that. I love, you know, European and Latin American cinema, like a kind of, uh, it's what I'm most interested in. So I don't know, like the pacing of it and how we get to tell the story, I think, and I always thought that like Latin American cinema, you know, connected more to the indigenous sort mm -hmm. of style. And so I've always tried to encapsulate that. And I've been successful or not successful up until this point, but I think I'm most successful capturing the way native stories are told in this show. Like I think, I'm, I think that I'm really proud of that. I think one of the things I think one of the things that like native people do is when you know like some of my favorite storytellers in my family when they talk they'll talk about just going down the street and nothing really happens yeah but it's how they tell it and oh, it's yeah. what they perceived it's what they perceived and how they perceive things that's interesting yeah and so that's why that's what I want to do I mean like today we were you know, I won't give anything away, but one of the episodes we're figuring out is an episode for big 
you know, Zon McLaren and the, uh, the cop, the tribal cop. Yep. And, you know, it's so fun to be able to just like, like that guy can take you, you can go anywhere with him. You know, you can really like, you know, he's so funny. And also he um, is into this weird conspiracy stuff, you know? Yeah. So it's like, you know, if you take that character and just say, where do I want to take him? He doesn't have to be in the town. You know, what if right. he leaves? What if he goes yeah. somewhere? Well, it's like, how do you, you know, what is it like to follow him on that journey? And I, I'm excited about all that. And I think and one of the things we're talking about right now, which I guess I'll give you a little bit of a hint of something, but like one of the things that I love is like we sort of leave Uncle Brownie naked in a field mm-hmm. and he's asking like, you know, uh, are you taking me with you? And I love the idea of someone that isn't sure if he's alive or dead. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> like, like, am I here or am I not? You know, so right. I, I really want to play with that in season two. That's that's awesome. And uh, I think it's funny because on one end you had, um, like I was wondering how we would translate to people who have had no exposure to native communities because I was like, there's a humor there that's so damn funny because it's so real. It's so true to... I was like, is that, and then I noticed native people absolutely loved it. But then I was like, huh, how is it going to be received by people who are not familiar? And they absolutely right. loved it. So I was like, oh, this is great. It's like everybody gets it, you know. It's- it really surprised me, you know, because yeah. I didn't know either yeah. until just putting it out. Because I mean, I thought, you know, you could easily put it out and people were just like, what's this? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> of course. Because it's like, maybe if you're not familiar, it doesn't translate. But but it did. It did great. It did, so yeah. it's, uh, it's been amazing. It's been so exciting. Do you think your storytelling style has a lot to do with coming up with documentaries in the past? Because I'm a documentary editor myself, and I've always found the reason I love documentaries is you start off, oh, this is our subject, and this is what we're going to go for. And nine times out of ten, that thing over there in the corner you didn't even know about gobbles it up and takes over. And that's really kind of the feel your show has. You're just sort of journeying along and seeing what we bump into. Yeah. I think that documentary filmmaking definitely helped. I mean, I think both ways. I think that my narrative films helped my documentaries. And I think the documentary side definitely helped me not be precious about things and be flexible and and kind of like hope for magic and like try to set up situations to allow these good, good things to happen. And then you embrace them, you know? And so I was definitely, um, it definitely goes both ways. And like, but like, you know, documentaries, I love that about documentaries, that they are so free. And that's honestly how I work with the actors, you know, like uh, whenever I block a scene, which, you know, for people that don't, aren't movie nerds, like blocking a scene basically means like you are putting, you know, the actors are standing where they're going to stand. You're like deciding how, what the action is going to be in the space. And, you know, usually there's some bit of rehearsal in there. And so whenever I block the scene, it's like, let's see how it feels. And they'll kind of be moving around and then I'll say, what if you're over here? What if you're over there? And then, but what if you're here? Oh, that doesn't work. All right. Well, what about when you say this, you sit down and say, okay, try that. And then I'll also just say, all right, well, let's just try anything. Like just move around, like see where you go, you know? Um, and I, and, and I always know when it feels right. It's just a feeling. It's like all of a sudden it clicks in and it feels right. It's like, okay, this is it. Let's do this. You know? Um, and there's nothing scarier than looking at a complicated scene and not knowing how you're going to shoot it. <laughs> but there's nothing more fulfilling than working that out. And all of a sudden, you know, you got it, you know? Um, and it's about not being afraid that all these eyes are waiting on you to decide, you know, like you have to be okay with that big silence from the crew as they wait on you to figure it out. Um, the scariest part is the silence and you're worried how they feel, you know, but like, once you get over that, you know, you just realize that like, I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of like strength and, or like, I don't know, there's a lot of, you get a lot out of not acting like, you know, everything and just mm-hmm. saying, huh, I don't know how to do this. Let's figure it out. You know? So I don't know. There's a lot of that on this shoot. It's great. Cause it removes the pressure to some degree. It's like everybody relaxes right. a little bit. It's like, okay, you know, we don't have to, that's smart. Actually. That's a good way. Even if you did know how that's a good thing to do to lighten right. oh, up yeah, the mood sure. a little. And, uh, I mean, one thing that I do, I, I, another way that I do that with actors. And so I work with a lot of uh, sort of more untrained actors and even on this show. And one thing that I do um, when we start doing the scene, I'll even do this with actors. If I feel them struggling, 
But one thing that I always do is the first take, I make sure they see that I'm relieved that they can do it. I'm just like, mm-hmm. oh, we got this. Like that's that was great. And then I move yeah. on. I don't dwell on them. I don't pause and just like look at them in silence and make them feel nervous. Like I just, even if it was shit, I will just go, oh, that was great. All right, cool. And then I'll be talking to the camera, you know, just so their pressure's relieved from them. Yeah. And then I'll focus on the performance after that. You know, like, but I always, no matter what, just oh yeah, that was great. Like it's cool. We're, we're good, you know. I think that that just relieves pressure and it's about trust, right? It's about trust yeah. with crew. It's about trust with actors and everything. I would hate to be like a dictator type filmmaker. Like a, that wouldn't be miserable to me. Yeah. No, that wouldn't be any fun at all. Do you use two cameras when you shoot or you just do a single the whole time? Sometimes, well, sometimes two, it depends on kind of how complicated and, you know, it depends on, it depends on, I mean, we try to, cause the shooting, the shooting schedule is so brutal. Like it's like four days to shoot the whole episode. Um, and I mean, the hunting episode, I shot it in three, you know, wow. and it's like, um, it's brutal. So when you can shoot two cameras, sometimes that's helpful, but it's really hard to do that, you know, with, especially when you have like, it's hard to do that because to, to move fast, you kind of have to pick which side you're looking at yep. and kind of stick with that side. You can't flip. We don't forget to flip a lot and change, you know, like flip around totally around. And so because of that, you don't get a lot of room to shoot two cameras, you know, so you have to pick and choose. But a lot of times we'll do like a wide lens or like a wide shot and then a long lens on another camera to get to pop off like close ups and things like that if we need it. Right. Are you pretty much on location for everything? Yeah, everything. Yeah. Which I think like is part of the charm of the show. Great. Definitely. Definitely. People definitely feel that, I think, you know. Oh. Right. I can't imagine being right. on that soundstage. That would kill it. Especially, I mean, for other things you can do it. In terms of leadership, when you are essentially running the show in every way, and I mean, in this show more than others, because it's so strongly, there's this sense of community that's built through it, where both the subject of the show is about community, the vibe behind it needs to be... There's so much that if you were a novelist, you know, you would have your idea, you have your vision, you go out, you write it. They're not really talking to anybody else. You're doing your thing. Here, you do have that same thing in writing and creating the show, but then you also have to pass it on to other people. I mean, there are, you haven't, you didn't write every episode. You wrote a bunch. You wrote the general, you know, you wrote most of them. You directed a whole chunk. But there are some that you didn't direct. I mean, you're right. clearly doing the show running, but you didn't direct or write. Right. How does that feel in terms of the ability to transfer your vision to other people who are working with you? How does it feel to kind of let the baby out of your yeah. hands and see what happens? I, mean, I think part of that is like, I think part of it is obviously trusting them, your team. Mm-hmm. And, and in my case, most of my team has known me for years. Mm-hmm. So they know who I am. They know what I do. They know my taste. It's also having such a clear vision of tone that it's that like they can see it and they know how to not fuck that up, but also mm-hmm. giving them the room to bring their own stuff in and really let them express themselves through it too. You know, I also do drafts of everyone's scripts just to give it my polish and, mm-hmm. you know, to just to, you know, if there's little tweaks or anything that, you know, that I need to do just to, in, in terms of how the show feels, I'll, I'll do that. You know, um, for the most part, we end up outlining the show, the episodes together. So it's already laid out, you know, they just write it. And like, we come up with like just the outline, the general outline, yeah. and then they yeah. write the script. So all of that to say, you try to keep the show, the show, you know, and the only one that can keep the show, the show is really, it's all, it's up to me. And I, and I try not to fuck that up, but it's also giving them the freedom to bring in their own voice. And like, you know, I'm like in some of those episodes that I didn't write, I can feel the writers in it. You know, like I, I can, and, may, and, and and their job is to hide that and make it the show. But because I know them so well, there's definitely things in like lines that I know is them, right? Of course, of and, course. Uh, and so, you know, uh, it's really collaborative, though. I mean, like everyone's, re- you know, it's all family, like really collaborative. Right. I guess the thing that... And, you know, it's just about community, though. Like, I mean, you speak about community. I mean, that was like my goal with this was to like make this show and make it like an independent film. Mm-hmm. How that 
we're so close. It's like you're you're in battle together, you know. And like that was the thing with this show. I was like, I, I know that we can still do that on this big scale. And I know that it'll benefit the show and it'll keep everyone's morale in and people will fight for the show. Like everyone's mm-hmm. gonna fight for this show. And that was it. And the whole crew did, you know, and like I think it was that sense of community that helped sort of establish that and make everyone proud to be there and proud to do it. And, you know, and some of that were like bringing in native singers to bless, to open the, you know, to bless the production right at the beginning and always having that available. I mean, my, my medic, like, you know, had stage and like, you know, if anybody needed cedar to burn or whatever, you know, it was like, <laughs> there were all these like cultural things that we tried to keep everyone comfortable yep. and like, you know, make sure that it was like as indigenous as possible for everyone, not just the native crew. And I love how you included them in the shooting too, like when you have the scene where you show the owl and you have the owl eyes kind of like pixeled out because it's like, I was like, oh, this is sad. Those were the things that I was wondering. Does it translate to people who don't know the culture? I I don't know about that one. I mean, I think like, I think what's cool is when it doesn't translate like in that scene, if it doesn't, it's still weird enough that yeah, it's like people are like, it works. yeah, this is cool. Yeah. They go along with it, you know? Yeah. 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 It and, works. You know, it's like, it's been surprising and interesting how much non-native people love it. You know, mm-hmm. like that feels really good. You know, yeah. like that feels really good. Cause I didn't make this just for native people to, to mm-hmm. like it. Like I wanted to make it to where native people would be proud of it and non-native people would be fans of it. You know, like that's what I wanted. Which you really hit the home run with it because that yeah. has been the reception. You know, everybody likes it. It has been well yeah. received in both directions. And I guess that brings me sort of to where Rich was hinting at earlier in terms of the pressure that, you know, I recently yeah. did uh, I did a couple of episodes of History on Fire about Bruce Lee. And one thing that fascinated me about his story when studying that was uh, when he hits it big, he has his moment of success when suddenly all the doors that have been shut in his face, they open, which on one way is like the ultimate underdog triumph story. On the other hand, there's a whole layer of pressure that he did not expect to come that suddenly is on him. And it's weird to say because he's like, what, oh, now you're mad because you're successful. It's like, well, though you're not mad, you're happy. But there are challenges that you hadn't foreseen and there's a lot of pressure. There's, as he was saying, there's less time to get stuff done. Everybody expects stuff from you. Suddenly you have opportunities and you don't want to say no to anything, but there are still 24 hours in a day. And so there's still choices to be made in that regard. How has it been dealing with the paradoxical nature of having to deal with the challenges of success? Because, you know, you have done something awesome. It's like, clap, clap, clap. Okay, here is now all these new challenges for you. Right, right. You know, I was talking to, and this is going to be a real big name drop, um, but I have a project with him. And I I think I told you about it, but like uh, Ethan Hawke and I were talking and I was talking about... um, because a lot of people at FX would tell me, you know, like, hey, man, just so you know, your life's about to change. Just just be ready, you know, like, no. and I think they probably knew that the show was good and they'd just seen it happen a lot. And they were really preparing me and like or trying to warn me. Yeah. But I didn't think that. I, but I was like, oh, I've been doing this for a while, I'm not <laughs> right. worried, you know, but it was buckling for a bit. It, it really was like and I was talking to Ethan about it and. You know, he said it doesn't like I was, you know, because like most of it, 99.9% of it was love, but then there's also a little bit of hate and you just got to get that. But like, he was like, you know, the crazy thing is like the love and the hate, they both feel the same. Mm -hmm. Like no matter what, it's just a level of exposure that you're not used to and it doesn't feel good. Mm -hmm. And that's true. Like I love the love and it's great. And I, and I think that it's changing things and that's been really good, but you, I wasn't ready for the feeling of of the overwhelming feeling that was coming, you know, and you're just sort of like, everything got really loud for a bit, you know, like every, the noise was just really loud. And you sort of think about like, you know, like if I was like a musician and had a hit at a young age, like, or if this happened to me when I was young, I don't know that I would have been prepared for it. You know, just the feeling that you get. I mean, like, you know, today I got a random call from someone just saying like, Hey, you don't know me, but you know, it's like, I'm a fan of your show. We met back in, well, I don't know, you know, like, or like a uh, reporters will get my number and text me. And it's like this, you know, I got, I got shit in the mail the other day that was like somebody sending me photos from the show that they printed online and wanted me to sign them. You know, it's like um, just weird shit's happening that I never 
had happened right. before, you know? So it's been a bit of like an adjustment, you know, for sure. But I feel like I'm, I'm, I feel like I know what to expect more now and I feel better about it. You know, your catalog will start getting explored. Cause right. I, I, I wanted to see this might be the last time just didn't get right. to it yet. But right. those things, you know, that probably didn't get the distribution you hoped for. Now they're right. going to get looked at and that's got to feel right. right. Could you right. tell me a little bit about that movie? Because the danger of pointing cameras at your own family, uh, I've seen that explode before. Right. Yeah, I think that it was just a really organic way of telling that story. Like, I originally wanted to do this movie about these hymns, these songs that the Muscogee people and Seminole people have. And it was just kind of a music documentary. You know, that's all it was. But I was going to do an intro to the film that talked about uh, my grandpa went missing in 1962 and it had a wreck and wrecked off the bridge. They found the truck. They couldn't find him. And the whole community came and looked for him. But like my grandma would always tell me that they sang hymns, these hymns, they sang these like native songs as they were searching for him. And just this idea from a young age that people use songs as a tool, you know, like it wasn't just comfort. It wasn't just whatever. It was a song it was like giving them strength and hope and it was like they were they were using it as a tool and i love that and so it stuck with me and it was going to be an intro to this movie and and i would tell people about that people i was interviewing and it kept happening over and over that they'd be like oh i was there i helped look for him you know when i was a young boy i helped look for him or when i was a young girl i, I helped look for him i was there you know i knew your grandpa you know it was like everyone started saying that so i would end up pulling the cameras out and interviewing them about my grandpa. And it just developed into this bigger story about my grandpa. And then at the very end, um, at the very end, I decided to inter uh, interview my, my grandma. And it, it turned out great, you know? Uh, but like, it wasn't planned, you know? See, that's the documentary. It just sort of starts as a seed and blossoms into its own thing. And I love the notion, I've heard many times that music is the only repeatable magic and something that sticks through you. You know, those songs, you hear echo of it, it'll take you back 30 years. I think those songs too, like there's something that's in them, you know, like there's something that's, there's something that's in them that I feel a history uh, in it, you mm -hmm. know, because they were used on the Trail of Tears and they were there. They talked about them being used as a way to provide strength. And they also are so connected to people passing. It's the songs that are sung. You know, at the, you, you hear one of them at the end of the hunting episode uh, when they at the at this little cemetery. Um, those that 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 song in particular, everyone that is Muskogee <clears throat> knows that song because it's the most popular. You grow up hearing that song, and <clears throat> you hear those songs at funerals a lot. And so it's tied to something so big and and ancestral and all of that that. Um, I don't know. It does something to me. Like, it's like, it's like, it's the true power of music whenever it's like, yeah. how deep that goes, you know, mm -hmm. it goes back before you were alive, you know, and like you, you have like this DNA connected to it, you know, it's like traveling through the span of this music, you know, and then you, you know, you go into like music influences and, and, you know, the song, this may be the last time, you know, it was old. Uh, it was like a slave spiritual. It was also a Muskogee hymn. And it became a blues standard that then ended up becoming staple singers had a hit with it. And then that, that, and then that, and then, you know, Keith Richard heard it. And all of a sudden the Rolling Stones do this, this could be the last time, mm -hmm. you know, it's the same thing. It's the same song, but I always knew it as this Muskogee song that I heard at funerals, you know? So uh, I don't know. Music is just a big part of what I love and me and, you know, um, being human. But, yeah, and the and the music on Reservation Dogs is very important to me too. Yep. Like I wanted, I you know, it's like uh, part of that is like hip hop, but also punk rock, and it's like I wanted to open up with the Stooges. I want to be your dog, you know, because like <laughs> I I wanted to announce to everyone like this isn't your typical native story yep. that you're about to see, you know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think you did a great job with that as well. Like the the soundtrack, there's both for the people who kind of know a little bit about native music. They would have like, oh, he's using a tribe called Red. That's awesome. But also for people who don't, there's stuff stuff that was recognizable, and the stuff that wasn't recognizable was fantastic. And even if you don't know anything behind it, it just sounds great as music, and that's it. So, 
Right. Uh, and the composer, man, I love our composer, Mato. Yep. Mato. Yep, yep. And he does, um, he's a Lakota guy, kid, mm -hmm. kid. He's like 23. And he does all the music on the show. And he's so talented, man. And like, uh, you know, he, and that's what I, I, I really am thankful to FX because they've let me give people their first shot. So many people their first shot at doing mm -hmm. this stuff. And I think they recognized that people just need the opportunity. That's all they needed. And so I've just been really grateful that they've given me the opportunity to allow people to do that. Well, you've given them the next Atlanta, so you they owe you something too. I really think that's so, really, man. It's that same it's sort of compliment. great sort of delving into, you know, places you haven't been. It's great. And I think stuff like this can really change the business, both in terms of uh, native stories that I think after this, there's going to be way more demand for native stories than there has been for the past 20 years. Yeah. Well, and speaking then, of that, I mean, like, oh, one oh. of the great things I was talking to the head of FX, had we had a meeting and, you know, they were like, this won't surprise you because you knew this was the, would be the case. But um, Hulu has seen a spike in subscriptions in the states of Arizona, Oklahoma, New Mexico, uh, South Dakota, North Dakota, Montana, Minnesota, Alaska. <laughs> and they're like, you know, that only, that only incentivizes Hulu to make more native shows, you know. Yep. So. That's fantastic. So you did that on one end on the native level specific stuff, which is great because it can really change the way movies are made tv shows are made on the topic as well as more in general the fact that you pulled off this amazing show that everybody loves with the uh, cast that see they're very specific to the genre or flat out unknown and flat out beginners in some way and everybody like those characters and everybody's like oh uh, willie jack is fantastic who's she oh she didn't do a whole lot oh wow this you know it's like that's great because it's showing like so much of the traditional business has been, okay, what name is attached to it? What famous name is driving the show? And if you can do show that people love that are not driven by this $30 million ticket of the star power of it has to be Leonardo DiCaprio or something, that changes the perception. People, people realize, okay, maybe a great story, well-written with well-developed characters, Maybe that's it. Maybe you don't need the superstar power for it. Right. And, uh, and, uh, right, well, you know, I will. I won't name any names, but um, I had a project probably twelve years ago, maybe longer. It was a TV show, mm -hmm. and it was sort of before streaming was big and all of that. And I developed it with someone, and then uh, another person stepped up to be um, the executive producer and direct the pilot and big time Oscar winner person that I won't name. But um, the only reason that the studio was going to make this show was because of his involvement. Yep. Of course. And they wanted him to be more involved. They asked if basically asked if like he could write the script instead of me. Mm -hmm. And you know, something I've been developing for years. But anyway, in the end he bailed on it and said that there's no way we can cast this. Yep. Yep. There's no native actors. And I just imagine him sitting in his whatever he lives in, watching the show. I hope he's watching the show and realizing that we did cast this show. You know, like we it was totally doable to cast this show. You know, I'm like, yeah, just because you don't know where they're at or like, you know, yeah. like you only see natives in a, in a Western at once every five, six years, you know, like it doesn't mean they're not out there. You just got to find them, you know. A revenge, a sweet revenge. I love yeah, it. Revenge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like it's what it. motivates me. <laughs> Without getting too into the specifics, but um, I assume, I mean, if you want, by all means, do it. But uh, um, in terms of where you see yourself going, you know, you want to do more films, you want to do more TV series, you want to do more... Do you have any particular direction that now that you feel probably more doors open up and you have more opportunities, where do you want to take it? I want to do more feature films, mm -hmm. but everyone wants, you know, I'll, I have multiple projects in TV and that's what, and it's also like, I have no complaints. I mean, I get to make, I mean, Reservation Dogs is like this, you know, uh, eight hour or, or uh, you know, what it was a four hour uh, TV show, uh, movie, you know, mm -hmm. it's like, I can't complain. I get to do, I get to make great stuff. So like, I, I would love to do more feature films, but mm -hmm. right now it seems like most of everything that I'm interested in is being developed in TV. So, mm -hmm. right, 
How did uh, Taika Watiti come along? Did you um, did you know each other before? Yeah, Taika's a friend of mine. Like we've been friends for, you know, we when I first I was like twenty five, I think when I met him, and we just both had films playing at the Sundance Film Festival. And just became, just hit it off immediately. I mean, we've traveled across New Zealand together in his little French car at the time. Um, <laughs> we've been all over the world and, and you know, festivals in New York on both coasts. And I don't know, we've just been good friends and we've hung out a lot and, and just uh, always kind of stayed in touch. But like, you know, we always treated it as that friends. Like, I, you know, I, I watched him sort of blow up into this giant star. Yep. And that's strange to watch your friend go through all that. But I just knew that I needed to just be his friend. And that's all that he needed from me. You know, like I didn't push work. I, You know, the last thing I would want to do is make him feel like he was being used. So like I was just always his friend. And because of that, he trusts me very much. And so he, we end up talking a lot and we end up hanging out and just kind of having drinks and downloading a lot. Um, and at one point, he, you know, I was working in TV and stuff and do, doing a lot of things out in LA. And at one point he said, why don't we do something together? Like when, you know, we were having tequila and came up with a show, like, just like that, you know? And, um, and I went home and wrote the, like a little brief outline of what the show could be, sent it to him and he really liked it. And I thought I'd hear from him in like a year or so, but I mean, he sold it in two days. Like he, he just, oh, you know, he had an overall deal at FX. He told them about it with the producer Garrett Bosch and they bought it. And I, all of a sudden it was like, my agents called me like, what the fuck is reservation dog? And I was like, Oh, it's this show I did with Taika. Like, I don't even <laughs> think I'd hear about it. You know, like it was that fast. It was crazy. How, how cool. It's just beautiful to hear, you know, you Hollywood can be a, a dark, hard place to, to be, but sometimes people do look out for each other and he blew up and had the capacity to, help bring you up the ladder a little bit and that's the way it should be and that's, that's just, right you know, he's it's great to hear is what it is he's done, yeah he's, he does that for other friends too it's like um and i do the same you know it's like it's like one of the i think it's the best part of success is being able like I, but you also know assholes that get success and they just want to like they, they just want to keep everyone down Lord over it, it. Yep. For the, i don't understand that and maybe it's like culturally the way i grew up i'm not sure but like I've all the one of the, my the, my favorite thing about this is bringing people along with me. I mean, like, you know, all the music or my the, like. There's so many friends of mine that have I have music in the show. You know, like uh, the cast, the crew. Like it was like that was my favorite part is to bring everyone with me. Yeah. Um, there's a bit of protection in that too, but there's all and and you know people do more for you if you bring them along and they believe in you and you believe in them and I don't know like. Uh, that was my favorite part is just like being able to give my friends their first opportunity at directing TV. I mean, like, you know, that's my favorite thing. That's awesome, man. I'm so glad because uh, both, uh, as Rich was saying, in Hollywood and as well in life in general, there's so much dark, heavy stuff that goes on that to get uh, to be reminded that sometimes you do get awesome success story. You do get beautiful ideas that get done. You do get this... Uh, uh, like really there's an underdog success vibe to it that's fantastic and uh, you know and you have fun in the process how good right. is that it's like for once I think where there's no but there's no like oh this this and this but there was this and that right. no it's all a great story from beginning to end from yeah. uh, your experience with it your guys uh, the product everything it's like ah that's refreshing it is man. It's great it feels show. good and it feels like um I wouldn't have wanted it done any other way. And I also, you know, two years ago, two and a half years ago, three years ago, I had no idea if, you know, I remember talking to another showrunner friend of mine, Sierra Ornelius, who has Rutherford Falls. That's her show. And I remember talking to her like four years ago, we got lunch in LA at like Cantor's or something. And like, we got lunch in LA and it was like, like, I was literally like, I think I'm going to stop. Like, I think I have to, because I, I don't know how to make money doing mm -hmm. this. Yep. And I don't know if I'm going to be able to get anything made, you know, and like feature films, like no one, because they still suffer from like, you need a name actor feature yep. films. Like no one wants to make this work in feature films. So like, I just didn't know what to do. And I was literally going to start a nonprofit. You know, I was like, what do I like doing other than this? <laughs> and the other thing I like doing is hunting. And I was like, maybe I could do like some sort of nonprofit outdoor native youth thing. I don't know, like yeah. it involved hunting. And so I was really like planning to like hang it up, man. 
Um, wow. And then I just, you know, things turned around. And so it was, um, I didn't that expect close, it. Huh? <laughs> yeah, that close. I didn't expect it though. You know, I really didn't. I love that. I love that notion too. I uh, a million years ago when Napster destroyed the music business, I was doing hunting and fishing shows for the Outdoor Channel for about three years, and we kind of reinvented the thing and had like the top two on the channel. And sure. one of the coolest things I learned along the way, I think it was Kentucky and one other state, they had introduced archery as a part of gym class. Wow! And all of a sudden, these little diminutive girls or the kid who can't run fast could knock the hell out of some bullseyes. Wow. And it was like changing, and I think they discontinued it for some reason, but uh, you just reminded me of that through the That's idea amazing. of nonprofit yeah. because it was just a fantastic time where this six weeks, the people that aren't so fast are going to show a thing or two. Right, 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 right. Just fantastic. Yeah, I like that stuff too. That's <laughs> awesome, man. That's so cool. Well, I don't want to take too much of your time. Is there anything else that you want to throw out there as a last thing before we wrap? You know, I think that, um, I don't know. I mean, like all I can say is, Hey, thanks for having me on the show. Um, and it's been good getting to know you over the last couple of years. And I hope that we can uh, continue to work together. And I hope that, um, you know, it's, I, I hope that, I don't know, it's been, uh, you know, it's like, I've just been really happy that people respond to this show. And I feel it's not pressure. It's not pressure. It's more, um, it's more like I feel uh, the obligation to continue to, make this show in a way that people still enjoy it and relate to it and love it and that it surprises them and surprises me um because that's kind of the key to the show is like surprising people and surprising me and and i don't know like i feel like there were so many bad versions of native shows that i just over the years i was like oh like somebody's going to get an opportunity to do something and it's going to be the wrong thing you yeah. know and then i was like and even like if i get an opportunity and it's and like like, uh, what if I don't like it? And then it's like, we're going to inch our way into better representation. But the freedom that they gave me to make this show, this is the show I always wanted to make. Yep. Like, this is the show left to my own devices I could make. And so to be able to do that, it just feels like we were able to um, push things forward in a really rapid way. You know, like, like, like we really pushed it forward. And I'm really happy that because like, you know, you set the bar here and then like, I'm, I look forward to all the other shows that are going to be created after this, you know, it's yeah. only going to get better. So awesome. Love Congratulations, that. man. Yeah. It is a fantastic show. Truly. Thanks so much. Truly. Sweet. Well, the Funky Music Bees one thing. That's the end of another fine episode, an excellent episode of the Drunken House Podcast. That was too much fun. I had a blast. Um, Sterling is great. It's it just, just things falling into place so nicely right now. Yes. I'm uh, very excited to see whatever he comes up with next. Speaking of music, let's say thank you to Daisy House for letting us use our intro music. That's I'm always glad when I hear those notes. Yeah. Anything else we need to touch on? I just everybody take care of each other. Yes, indeed. Please have a wonderful day. Switch. D B O L E L L I. Good shit. R I C H I M O N and the numeral one. And so ends another awesome episode of the Drunken Dows Podcast. Be sure to keep your ears peeled for another mind-expanding episode coming soon. We'll be tweeting you as they come out. You can keep track of Daniele at D-Bolelli. That's D-B-O-L-E-L-L-I. And you can find me on Twitter at RichieMon1. R-I-C-H-I-M-O-N and the numeral one. We'll see you all soon. Woo! No, you don't. In questo caso, in questo caso, le provvidenze di Dio.
Duncan showed you the way, yeah? Oh man, isn't that scary to think? Nice. So don't kill people, do that instead. <laughs> this was great. Fucking awesome. And I love this conversation. I have nothing against chicken other than the fact that they are ugly and weird and strange. We've been yeah, having a great hour nice. here. Dun, dun, dun. I completely got lost. Are we doing the outro or the intro? We're outro. Oh, we're outro. Okay, sorry. So that's... <laughs> So let's continue. Did you ever see the movie Tombstone with uh, Val Kilmer and... Uh, uh, your accent, it just... Whatever that movie is you were trying to tell me about... Can you translate for me, please? I believe the word was Tombstone. Yeah, that one, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> just as I was saying, you know, Tombstone. <laughs> now, most everybody thought... <coughs> Sorry. Well, <coughs> we'll do a cut on there. Or not, that was something else. <laughs> no, that's maybe too powerful. <laughs> What do I have to do? One day the rod shall teach you. Get back to work. Funky. Podcasting. It's like radio, but you can cuss.